When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and good friend, Chris Breffitt. How have you been this week, Chris, and how does it feel to close out our character episodes of the X season? Jesse, it's been a good week. It's been a fun week. It hasn't been as cold for me as it has been for you, but it's been okay. There we go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Of course, if we're going to be closing out the X-Men, it can't be simple. So it's got to be very X and it's got to be Sabretooth. Pretty complex. X-Men are always their own convoluted mess of complex melodrama, great character design. There's so many things going on all simultaneous. Especially when you're talking about any of the Weapon X characters, oh boy. you know, your Wolverines, Sabretooth, your Deadpools, so on and so forth. There's there's quite a few, you know, now we have X-23 and the clones oh, yes. and, and all that. So it's always going to be super complicated when it comes to Weapon X. That makes a lot of sense. Also, though, you know, Chris, some people's favorite characters and some of this Weapon X stuff is a lot of people's favorite elements of the mutants. If I can say that, I would say some people really drawn to these characters and myself included Wolverine X-23. Those are two of my favorite X-Men. Right. Sabretooth is one of my favorite villains, which is completely weird because I usually have a pretty strong moral stance against villains like Sabretooth. But I don't know. Something about the character design has always just been really great for me. Well, and he's made a lot of like top 100 superhero lists. So I would say that's pretty neat. You know, he's even made like he's in the 40th range of the greatest comic book villains range. So like he's made a lot of lists too, Chris, of just iconic characters out there, even though he's probably lesser known than Wolverine, but right behind him. They kind of go hand in hand. Uh, Sabretooth does do one of my favorite villain things to Wolverine and uh we'll we'll get to that at some point today. Well, of course we will and you know, as Chris mentioned, it's very strange here and I'm glad we found time to record and podcast because yeah, we're just trapped in with snow and ice here. I mean, everyone's stuck at home working from home. It's pretty chaotic. So, I appreciate you guys sticking with us during this time and everything like that. And it seems like that's going on a lot of places in the United States, Chris. I didn't imagine it was too bad where you were at, so East Coast, you know, in the south, you're typically pretty warm. It has been very rainy, but, you know, it's nothing compared to what you guys are going through. It's very strange. We haven't had snow and ice like this in Oklahoma in over a decade. And, you know, we're getting temperatures and weather akin something more like a bad winter in Michigan. So it's very strange for Oklahoma at this given time. But everybody's making it. You know, we uh, went on a giant grocery run and just stocked up, you know, being prepared to be in this state for longer. You know, time will tell. We'll see. But 
I believe, you know, get better. And hopefully when I get to leave my house or, you know, people can actually traverse the roads again and stuff, you know, maybe I can go play some MCP or something. We will see. Time will tell. <laughs> I'd love to. I would love to. Speaking of MCP today, Chris, and you know, everything catching up, we mentioned last episode, we were really excited about getting to see Crystal and Lockjaw's cards. Finally, Atomic Mask gave us Crystal and Lockjaw's cards, which is great because all the Inhumans are coming out soon. So in classic Atomic Mask fashion, they fed us, you know, these beautiful sculpts, the, the cards, and then of course the character cards. So we know everything basically now that's coming out with the Inhumans. And I think we just got to get into it. So let's just start with Crystal today because, you know, we talked about, Chris, some of our hopes and dreams and everything about Crystal. You know, she is more of a minor character in this universe and parts of the Marvel universe, but she obviously plays a big role in the Inhumans. But she turns out she is that control mage we were hoping for. Now we've seen all of her attacks. Turns out she has four, like, you know, they hinted at in the article. And they all just give out different conditions. We've got stun, push, slow, incinerate. She has an A attack. That's an A1. She's got a range four hurricane blast, a range four hydrokinesis attack, and a beam three volcanic attack. Not only does she have all these conditions she gives out, but she's also got all the range ruler representation in her kit as a mage. Her kit's nuts. And the the coolest thing about all these attacks is none of them cost anything. Yeah, they're not high damage attacks at all. No, but, not by any means. But we've talked about this a lot, Chris. Like, effects are powerful. And her Volcanic Surge costs nothing, but it's only four dice. But it is Beam 3. Very nice. This is probably the one I'm going to be doing the most. This is the one where after the attack is complete, she gains a power. So that means if you Beam 3 characters after each individual attack is complete, you're actually going to gain a power. So... This could net you upwards of, you know, five powers. I mean, if you lay this down right, you know, dream scenario, but maybe it's going to get you two or three at a given time, which is actually really nice. And then, of course, it has the wild trigger incinerate, which I love a lot. Taking away defense dice is good. It's always good. I was just thinking one of these days we're going to have to do like a, a status condition power rankings or something. I don't know. Yeah. Or even just a beginner's guide to how Ooh, they all work. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. I like, like that. Refresher for us. Just keep us on our toes, maybe some sort of resource for the listeners in the community, something they can reference, you know, and learn these conditions. Cause it does get complicated when you have characters like this, who are giving out constant, you know, conditions. Also her most cool part of her kit is her elemental onslaught, a power cost of four reactive superpower. Basically when crystal finishes one of these zero cost attacks, she can spend four power to do any other attack that she hasn't already done for free, basically. It's like baked in, if that makes sense. It's actually really cool. So this actually means that Crystal can attack three times in a turn, if you do it right. Really cool. So you could like Volcanic Surge as your first action, maybe get two or three power. Volcanic Surge again, or another attack as another action. And then now spin four power after that second attack is complete to do a third attack that kind of breaks the rules of the game where you're actually getting a third attack in. It just can't be one of the attacks you've already done the, the turn. It has to be her other spell. So so cool. Very, very cool. And of course, Elemental Onslaught is the only thing that she has that costs anything. So she's also a great candidate for using tactics cards or if you're running an affiliation that can pass power between characters to do that from her. I see we're going with the Scots team. <laughs> exactly. I, I am. You know, I'm always I'm always playing that angle, right? But you know, you could kind of use her as a as a power battery later game if you're not using elemental onslaught every 
turn. Yeah. As Chris said, that's a great example. She can almost fulfill a partial support role in that, in that case, someone like Shuri, who's sometimes sitting on a lot of power, you know, you spend Shuri's power on cards like advanced R and D you spend her power on things like upgrades, which is, you know, her giving rerolls to other people. Yeah. This could be a different version of that. Chris, she's a good candidate to spend the tactics cards like field dressing or something like that. Heal up people on your team. Really nice. Of course she's inhuman. She gets reroll one dice and her attacker defense rolls, which is so great. All the inhumans are immune to poison, which is pretty cool. And she has flight. So, so she's another three threat flyer, which we don't have a lot of in the game. She's also a long mover, which is great. Did I mention she's three threat, which is great. You know, I think a lot of people are going to pass her by. It's crazy to say this. She's probably the least flashy of all the Inhumans, even though she's still crazy flashy. Like four different attacks with different abilities baked in. She can potentially do three attacks every turn if you play her right. She's a three threat flyer. She's got average health on a three threat, 10 health. She's just not as flashy as the other three, which is crazy to say because the other three are just powerhouses. But I think she's great. Three threat is always welcome in this game, Chris. Well, yes, a three threat flyer is always great. A long mover always great you know the only thing she can't do on a consistent basis is deal damage which she can do every few turns or so can deal a decent amount of attack dice there but i'm just looking at her as like you said a absolutely solid solid support piece for a team with given all that she can do all the status conditions she can dish out on top of her last superpower is elemental empowerment which any enemy character that tries to get rid of one of these status conditions that she can throw, those conditions are no longer removed. So if they're within three range, they can't remove that incinerate, that slow, that stun that she's given them. So you're keeping that hopefully incinerate on them. Yeah. So they're throwing less dice. They're not going to be able to, to take that next big attack, possibly that elemental onslaught. Absolutely, yeah. And this obviously means not only does she get to keep her conditions out, but anyone you pair with her that also gives conditions. A lot of characters I love, Chris, like Ronan and Green Goblin and several others that give out conditions all the time. Well, obviously, they're a good fit with her because they're giving out conditions and she's helping the conditions stay on the board. So, yeah, her biggest weakness is probably dealing a lot of damage. And, you know, she's got average defenses, average health. So her other weakness is staying alive a long time. But, you know, that one reroll on attack or defense rolls, that actually adds up a lot. We've talked about this a lot. In a way, you could treat her like you're always using her reroll per turn on defense. If you treat it like that, she's actually 444. Because that's how the math shakes out mm. in this game, in a way, roughly. So I it's like, like she might not deal a lot of damage, but if she's giving out conditions, holding an objective, and then, of course, like Chris said, supporting her team through taxes cards and other things like that, and just keeping conditions on the board, I really like it. It's not as oppressive as something like the Loki tax, where Loki's on the board and everything in his bubble has to pay more for superpowers, which I love so much, but... I also think she fits right in with Loki because he's doing things like that. He's doing control things as well. This is a character I'm really looking forward to hopefully trying to master Chris, especially considering that she's one of the characters that's come out in games so far, at least on a lore side that I'm least interested in. But on a gameplay side, once again, like Atomic Mass always knocks it out of the park. I'm super excited to get her to the table. So once again, Atomic Mass got me more invested into a Marvel character I already thought was cool didn't know much about, probably was less interested in playing than a, a lot of other threes in the game, but now I just want to play her all the time, figure it out. <laughs> Absolutely. She just, to me, she just seems very solid all around, minus the damage, of course, but having her on the team, I feel like, and I think it's the long move that does yeah, this, with that flight. sets this, yeah, the long move with flight that sets this over the top. 
with her, you can now afford to take maybe a more one-dimensional offensive character to kind of deal with her lack of damage because she does mm. everything else so well. She does. You can kind of use her as that Swiss Army knife, jack-of-all-trades, master of none, to get through on the support side, freeing up more room for damage dealers. Yeah, I can't wait to play her. But we've got to move on to the star of the Inhumans, just period, before we even saw the cards for this game. My personal star of the Inhumans, and clearly the star of this set of all four of the cards, Chris, which is Lockjaw, who's also a three threat, which was a nice thing to think about. So now we've got Black Bolt at five, Medusa at four, and Lockjaw and Crystal both at three. And it's also been revealed now that Beast and Ronin are also on the Inhumans affiliation card. So we've also got another four and a three on the Inhumans. Ronin is going to be sick with this team. He really is. Honestly. Yeah, re-rolls and, you know, balling up like we talked about, that they're going to yeah, really completely. get a lot of benefits. Oh, god! Some things that Lockjaw can do with Ronin seem really good. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. So, touching on Lockjaw real quick, he's a slightly above average health three threat, which is nice. He's 11 total. He is height three because he's pretty large. His defenses are a three, 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 like a normal three threat. He does move short, which is unfortunate. But he is a medium-sized base, so that is going to even out in the end. What's so funny about Lockjaw, Chris, is you want to talk about support. We thought Wong was the most support character in the game. I think we have a character now that rivals Wong because, you know, something you never do with Wong is fight. You know, he doesn't have many avenues to fight. Well, it turns out Lockjaw has even less. Lockjaw has just a range to four-dice strike that gains power equal to the damage dealt and potentially gives out bleed. You're probably never going to strike with Lockjaw ever. You don't want to be anywhere. No, and maybe you will sometime to get power, which would make sense. But other than that, we've got to talk about how insane this character is and how he's obviously going to open up the game in a completely different way. Like we were thinking he might. His first superpower is an active superpower called Drop It, of course, classic. Costs three. Choose an interactive terrain feature of size three or less within range two of Lockjaw and throw it medium. The superpower can only be used once per turn. So he's got a really nice throw for a three threat. We talked about why Beast's throw was so good because it's a cheap throw of characters on a three threat. Lockjaws is a pretty affordable throw on a three threat character that throws size three terrain, which is pretty nice. But we got to talk about a couple of his upcoming things. This is really why you want to play him. He has the also the active superpower, Interdimensional Bloodhound. It says choose enemy character, which obviously just means anywhere on the map, no range restriction, which is amazing. Allied characters roll one additional attack dice when targeting the chosen character with attacks this round it's almost like a different version of killmonger's marked for the kill right really neat a really neat way to maybe bring down a hulk or a thanos or something Mm -hmm. that you've been really chipping away at does cost three which is a lot but what a cool support ability and then of course chris closing out his superpowers he has an active superpower called teleport that costs two action choose lockjaw or another allied character within range three of lockjaw and place it within range three of its current location. A character can be placed by the superpower only once per turn. So Lockjaw can place himself within range three, or he can place an ally that's within range three, range three, which is just absurd. We're talking about like half of the board. (laughs) 
so, you know, Ant-Man's still the winner at mobility and crazy teleporting and things like that. I can't even wrap my head around right now. Lockjaw with Ant-Man. Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> Chris is like, we I already have to this. talk about the X-Men. It's too much. It's too much. And then, of course, the X-Men. Yeah, he's teleporting with Storm. You know, you've got larger sized characters like Beast moving around. It's crazy, Chris, right? Oh, it's going to be weird. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And of course, closing on, he's an inhuman. So he gets the rerolls. He's immune to poison like an inhuman. And he has the innate power. Who's a good boy, which is so neat. At the start of each of Lockjaw's activations, if there is another ally character within range two of Lockjaw, he gains three power. So you were thinking to yourself, these all cost a lot. How's he going to do all this? Well, it turns out he's getting one for the round no matter what. And as long as he's within another character, like every good dog is, he's gaining three more power. So he'll have four power a turn, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's I'm really glad that they made the teleport an action to limit him to doing it twice a turn max. Otherwise, they'd just be out of this world. So that's the exciting Inhumans news we have today. We're obviously going to cover coming news on next episode, but we just really had to spend some time and talk about Crystal and Lockjaw today because they are some novel characters, Chris, and I'm really looking forward to their episodes. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm interested to learn more about them myself, and I'm hoping to get some good reading recommendations for them soon. Oh, I can't wait, but I think we just got to get into the rest of the X season today, so let's just go. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to Discount Games, Inc. for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and tabletop gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy our show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution. We thank all of our patrons for their amazing support. This week, we want to send a very special thank you to Anthony J. Anthony, thanks, man. Thank you so much. And of course, thank you to our Avenger producers, Matthew R., and Brett C. Chris, let's get into lore. Oh, man. So let's start lore like we always start lore. And let's ask, who is Sabretooth? Sabretooth, as we mentioned earlier, is, you know, Weapon X program. He's a healing factor mutant like Logan, like Wolverine. We don't really know for sure how old he is he did the weapon x thing so we don't know which memories are real which ones are going to be turned out to be implanted memories everything like that but most of all Sabretooth is a really really bad guy he has no moral conscience whatsoever mm. he will betray the entire mutant race without hesitation he is a very very selfish base individual. Sabretooth was created by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. I'm a John Byrne guy. And he first appeared in Iron Fist number 14, August 1977. Very interesting. So now let's move on to his superpowers. As we said earlier, Sabretooth is a mutant. He has some artificial improvements to his physiology as well, more than just his mutation. Of course, his primary ability is his accelerated healing factor. Like Wolverine, he can regenerate from just absolutely insane amounts of damage. Which, of course, this is going to grant him some immunities to poisons, drugs, toxins, disease, things like that. And unusually slow aging, so he looks young, even though he's been around for a very long time at this point. Like Wolverine, Sabretooth also possesses very enhanced senses comparable to you know a dog's nose things like that just really elevated senses 
He also has some retractable talons that some points will be coated in adamantium. And he really, really is an excellent ambush predator. He's compared to that of like a big cat, kind of what he takes his name after the saber-toothed tiger, with the stalking and the pouncing and the, the whatnots. He's also, of course, an excellent hand-to-hand combatant. He's been involved in a number of different programs and secret evil plans and a couple of of uh, actual X teams. He's been a hero a couple of times and he is a highly skilled manipulator and oddly enough is fluent in German. Very interesting. I'm glad you mentioned the big cat too, Chris, because obviously his costume is very evocative of that. So not only does he move like that and attack like that, which we've come to know, but we don't talk about it on our show enough and I want to talk about more because, you know, everybody knows these costumes, but these costumes do really mean a lot. And, you know, I think in his early design, like we talked about with Claremont and John Byrne, I mean, that silhouette of the saber-toothed tiger is there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's the reason I'm such a big fan of his, honestly, I think is just down to the character design. Right. He has really defined design and like silhouettes like even when the costume changes you always know which character it is exactly which is great so let's get into Sabretooth's very complicated and like wolverine's overly dramatic history <laughs> of course Sabretooth's real name is believed to be victor creed we're not sure absolutely because of all the uh, memory implantation and manipulation weapon x has done with Sabretooth early on In Victor's life, he murders his brother over a piece of pie. This will establish his lack of moral code for the rest of his life. His father will go on to chain him in the basement like an animal, where he will continually pull out the canines in Victor's mouth, and they will regrow his mutant ability manifesting here. So... Eventually, one night, he escapes and murders his father. Oddly enough, he sets his mother up financially for the rest of his lo- her life and continues to visit her. So I guess she's the only person he's not a complete jerk to. I don't know. Yeah. It's revealed later that he has a brother and a sister. These are believed to be the reasons that he hates Wolverine so much because it is his understanding of a certain complex situation that Wolverine killed his sister Though that is, of course, not the case, but it established Sabretooth's hatred for Wolverine. So early on, after his childhood, he's going to go on to be recruited as a top-secret CIA covert ops operative in a team known as, what else, Team X. His team members on this team will be John Wraith, also known as Kestrel, Wolverine, Silver Fox, and uh, Maverick. And of course, the team breaks up because Sabretooth kills someone he, he should not have, a scientist. This is going to be his first kind of covert ops team, his first military team. He's actually going to go on and team up with Logan to take on some anti-mutant forces in the government. There he's going to fall in love with a mutant named Hollow. He falls for her really hard, and he, quote-unquote, gets tired of the fighting and wants to settle down. She was not into it, but on this last mission, she is mortally wounded, and of course, Victor blames Wolverine for her death, and of course, his missing his chance at happiness. He's going to go on and be recruited into various other kind of CIA teams. But then he's going to emerge as a costumed villain. 
he's going to partner up with the supervillain Constrictor, and they're going to act as enforcers for major, you know, syndicates and criminal interests. This is going to be Sabretooth's introduction to comics here. This is where he's going to battle Iron Fist in Iron Fist number 14. And of course, Iron Fist just takes him to the cleaners. And then Sabretooth and Constrictor are going to then fight Iron Fist's Luke Cage, Misty Knight, and Colleen Wing. Of course, they're going to be defeated. Next, Sabretooth is recruited by the Foreigner, where he's going to attack the Black Cat and be defeated by Spider-Man. Then we're going to get into Sabretooth kind of interaction with other X-Men not named Wolverine when he's going to actually run into Gambit. They're going to do that general X-Men thing of fighting and then teaming up. Classic. Yeah. Where they're, and they're both going to end up working for Mr. Sinister. They're going to form the Marauders. And of course, what the Marauders do is one of the absolute worst things that happens in Marvel Comics. And that's going to be the kind of rounding up and, and murder of the Morlocks in the tunnels underneath New York City. Oh. Gambit, of course, gets out of there very quickly doesn't participate in any of any of that. He didn't know that that was what was going to be happening. Right. Gambit's goodness is kind of sort of still intact there. But Sabretooth, though, he loves it. Oh, no. It's terrible. <laughs> Sabretooth eating Morlocks. Absolutely. He kills a lot of them, dude. It's not good. Poor Morlocks. So the X-Men, X-Factor, they're going to come in and, you know, save... The Morlocks, sort of, not really. They're going to stop the Marauders. Sabretooth will actually be defeated by Caliban here, who will leave him with a broken back and leave him for dead. It takes weeks for Sabretooth to recover, for his spine to repair, where he's just sitting in the sewer eating rats as they come by. Of course, when he kind of comes to and recovers, he's starting to move around. Wolverine comes through. And he attacks Wolverine immediately. He and Wolverine are both shot by a vigilante who shoots them with hallucinogen-laced bullets. This is going to trigger memories of their time as partners in the CIA. This is going to take us back to stuff where Weapon X has completely messed with their heads and erased these memories or hidden these memories. It's going to jar all this loose, and it's going to be a really big deal for both of these characters. So if you'll remember in our Mystique episode, Mystique and Sabretooth had a child while Mystique was shapeshifted into someone else undercover. This child would not be a mutant. It would be Graydon Creed, who would go on to be a major anti-mutant player. Graydon will kill the psychic mutant that is kind of keeping Sabretooth's bloodlust at bay at this point in the story. And this mutant's name is Birdie. So what's going to happen there is Sabretooth is just going to freak out, slip into a murderous rage, and it's going to culminate after various people getting involved. It's going to culminate with Sabretooth attacking Professor X. Xavier's going to reach into Creed's mind. He's going to discover that he was a victim and that Sabretooth is actually remembered everyone he's killed as a villain that he's kind of been driven crazy so during this time sabertooth is going to be kind of incarcerated by 
the X-Men. He's going to kind of aid them in some battles against the Executioner, against Phalanx. He's going to help rescue Jubilee from Caliban. Sabretooth is going to really kind of pay Caliban back for breaking his spine. And this is going to lead right into confrontation with Wolverine, where Wolverine will, the first time, pop one of his claws into Sabretooth's brain. And this is going to kind of fix Sabretooth a little bit. It's going to do something when the healing factor kicks in, and Sabretooth is kind of a newer, gentler self. This is a time when Boomer from X-Force, one of my favorite characters, kind of helps nurse him back to health, but he attacks Boomer for her trouble. Psylocke will end up saving Boomer there. Because of the way his brain rehealed, it's going to kind of render him resistant to more telepathic detection and control. So he's going to be better off. He's going to have a higher defense role against mystic attacks at this point. So from here, he's going to be turned over to Dr. Valerie Cooper, who uses him in in sort of like a Marvel version of the Suicide Squad, where he's got an explosive collar around his neck. And if he's bad, it blows up, you know. He's going to then join a reformed Brotherhood of Evil Mutants led by Mystique. This is going to be that big assassination attempt against Senator Robert Kelly that we talked about during the Mystique episode. He's going to regain some adamantium on his skeleton next when he is forced to become a member of the relaunched Weapon X program. They're going to go ahead and rebond that to his skeleton. Eventually, he will escape, as they always do, and go back to working solo. He will team up with folks every once in a while. After being a complete jerk and murdering the young new Wendigo, he would attack the Xavier Institute with another formation of the Brotherhood, this time being led by Black Tom Cassidy, Mamomax, Avalanche, Exodus, and undercover heroes Nocturne and Juggernaut as well, where this <laughs> Wolverine really gets Sabretooth good here, and Wolverine claims to have killed Sabretooth and left him pulp in the grass, but Black Tom Cassidy, thanks to his powers, he kind of pushed everything back where it could reform. That's really gross. Gee. After a brief time... As a reluctant ally with the X-Men, Sabretooth is going to renew his rivalry with Wolverine. And this is going to be the one. This is going to eventually lead them fighting the Black Panther in Wakanda. So in the interest of brevity here, I'm going to skip over a lot of this, but he's going to do a lot of crazy stuff. He's going to fight an offshoot of humanity. He's going to fight the Black Panther. He's going to be killed by Wolverine. He's going to go to hell. He's going to come back from hell. But what I really want to touch on the most because it's my favorite little era of Sabretooth, I suppose, is his inversion. It's during the Axis storyline. His moral compass is going to be inverted, and all this is when all of the villains are going to become heroes for a time. And Sabretooth will, of course, become a hero here, and he's going to retain that after the Axis storyline kind of ends up, and he's going to be joining the Avengers Unity Division, which is a really fun Avengers run. And I just really, really love the art in this particular run, especially how Sabretooth is depicted and colored. It's really, really fun. 
all new, all different Marvel. He's going to kind of retain some of this this uh, hero instinct, and he's going to be part of Magneto's X-Men branch, which is there to protect mutants. And that's also another really, really fun part of Sabretooth's absolutely complicated and insane history. But we're going to have to leave it there for now. Because we have more things to talk about. Okay, Chris. So we've got some exciting stuff to talk about with Sabretooth, of course, in the Marvel movie universe. And of course, I'm referring to the Fox films. Now, Sabretooth, of course, was in these movies, but only twice, just like Toad. So we're seeing kind of some correlation there. He was in the first X-Men movie, which is pretty great because they obviously were making a statement like we talked about in our previous Brotherhood episodes, Magneto. Mystique, Sabretooth, and Toad were kind of just that original, iconic Brotherhood team. And they chose to do that in the first X-Men movie in 2000. It was Tyler Mayne, who is more of a physical actor, very similar to what we mentioned last episode with Ray Park. They actually hired a guy for his look, his physicality, and his body acting, essentially. Because just like Ray Park, the stunts, the fighting... And of course, his insane height being 6'8 and having muscles were very important to Sabretooth, right? Oh, yeah. So, Chris, I know that Tyler Mayne was a professional wrestler on a smaller scale, but me being completely uneducated in wrestling, I would be curious if you know anything about that, because that obviously helped him get the job. I remember Big Sky. I do not remember Big Sky very well. Of course, of course, I am absolutely obsessed with professional wrestling, <laughs> but not obsessed enough to remember anything particular about Tyler Mayne as a professional wrestler. Well, there you go. But yeah, Big Sky in the early 90s, right? And I thought it was pretty cool. Fun fact about him when he was cast in the role of Sabretooth in the original 2000 X-Men movie, just titled X-Men, he watched a lot of the X-Men cartoon over and over again and looked back at the Sabretooth in there for inspiration because it really was based off of that early Chris Claremont style Sabretooth. And he also purchased lots of Sabretooth comics and got to reading. So all the things that Chris and I love, and you've got to respect that. And then, of course, I do like the approach they went with Sabretooth in the movie. It wasn't too far gone, but it also wasn't too subdued, though I think it improves later. But, you know, the first movie, I think they really did a good job portraying Sabretooth's look, just like we talked about in our Magneto, Mystique, and Toad episodes. They kind of nailed the looks of these Brotherhood characters, even more so than a lot of the X-Men. Oh, I think they absolutely got Tyler Mayne's look for, for those particular movies. Right. In that era. I think they got it really right. This is very early... Early on in, you know, what, if you're setting that in the comics, it's mid-70s, maybe, when when Wolverine and Sabretooth are kind of coming around. Yep. So this is going to be at that point, yeah, he's going to be a feral wild man walking out of the woods because he's been living alone for years. Yeah, I just, yeah, it's really good. It actually made a lot of sense, too, Chris, because I did more digging on Tyler Mayne, and I realized, you know, he's a Canadian resident, spent most of his life in Canada, and of course they filmed a lot of... Sabretooth and Wolverine's early scenes, like some of the Alaska scenes and winter scenes and things like that in Canada. So it just all came together really well for them. And I think that turned out as being a major part of the movie. Kind of, you had, um, of course, Charles Xavier's opponent, which of course is Magneto. And then you had Wolverine's opponent, Sabretooth. And that kind of was the main focus. And then you had all the other X Men in the film as well. So it, it worked out. Now, 
where they really take Sabretooth to the next level. It's so interesting to me, Chris, the dichotomy that is always the Fox movies. Because then in 2000, pre-2009, when they do pre-production, they film X-Men Origins Wolverine, arguably one of the worst X-Men movies. <laughs> they cast a great actor. They cast Lee Schreiber, of course, who's a much more famous actor at this time. They just recast Sabretooth because... Sabretooth was going to be a more dramatic, blind-delivering part rather than the physicality and the animalistic nature he was in the first movie. And it's so interesting, Chris, because this is arguably one of the worst X-Men movies we've talked about. There's a lot of really frustrating, like unfinished effect shots, all kinds of things in the movie. But the standout in the movie is Wolverine and Sabretooth's relationship because they actually show in the film, you know, them fighting all, all the world wars together, them, you know, being basically brothers to each other, their relationship, and then basically the fall of their relationship. And it's actually probably one of the only good things in that movie. So <laughs> he's a good fit. Oh, yeah. It's very fitting, too. And and I love Liev Schreiber. And if you haven't seen Goon, it's one of the Ooh, best sports movies ever. Very good. But his portrayal of Sabretooth is that more civilized, very, very smart mm. Sabretooth. He right. still has that kind of animal instinct animal cunning he still is a really bad guy but he kind of suppresses those baser instincts or dresses it up as more sophisticated from time to time but the portrayal is absolutely great it's super fun yeah absolutely and they even showcase more of Sabretooth's powers basically in this movie in particular they show you know his claws are retractable he's got a lot more acrobatics than we thought you know they showcase his healing factor and of course his unknown levels of de-aging slash, as Chris said earlier, just the unknown number that Wolverine and Sabretooth both have of really how many years do they do they actually have because they age so slowly. And we see that all showcased in this movie. Absolutely. What's really interesting, Chris, and would it would be a nice alternate reality and cut of one of my favorite superhero movies of all time, Logan. So during the story development for Logan, Leave had been approached about the potential of Victor Creed returning to X-Men alongside Hugh Jackman. But that initial script with Sabretooth in it just did not work out with the Laura Kinney story. So they ended up scrapping it, though there is a deleted scene, which I think is pretty cool, on the Logan blu-ray and if you watch some of the special features on some of these streaming services where logan's staying at a family's house and there's a kid with a old wolverine like versus Sabretooth comic and he's like oh yeah. this was real right and logan's like put that thing away that's just stories you know and it's so they still have nice nods to his relationship to Sabretooth, just like the rest of logan it's understood that the other x-men and brotherhood characters lived and died moved on, whatever happened, it happened, but they're not the feature of that story. And I think it was for the better, but I would have really actually liked to see him return basically as, you know, Hugh's brother in this film as well, you know, in an alternate reality that that might've been something neat. I would love to see Lee Schreiber return. I would love even more to see Sabretooth in the MCU in the hands of a team that has an actual direction and plan for the future. I, I think Sabretooth could be very, very cool in the hands of, of the mouse, but we'll see. We'll just have to see what happens. We'll see. Yeah. He might be too ruthless of a character. You never know. And this new right. MCU, they've kind of got set up, but they've been surprising us left and right, Chris, with things like the Disney plus shows. And I really do think there is probably a future for Sabretooth and some weapon X stuff one day, one day. Oh yeah. 
So closing out our lore, Chris, of course, you've got to give a comic book recommendation. So what I'm going to go for here is I'm going to say, go ahead and read the Axis storylines, read any any teams he was on during Axis. He's also featured in one of my favorite Iron Fist runs by Ed Brassoon, which is very, very cool. Go ahead and read that because we're going to be talking about Iron Fist here pretty soon anyway. One day we will get to him for sure. Looking forward to it. All right, Chris. So closing out just this whole discussion about Sabretooth's history, lore, character design, and character motivations. Can we encapsulate Sabretooth in a couple thoughts like we've done with the rest of our Brotherhood members? Oh, man. He's a very, very damaged person. Okay. I mean, his his mind is just a jumbled mess. But moreover, he's, he's I don't know, he's been had a lack of empathy, kind of kind of a serial killer from the from the get-go right and molistic yeah and that's how he's portrayed in his first couple of appearances is is as an animalistic serial killer he's not powered yet and then they decide to go ahead and use him as as a a foil to wolverine but yeah i i would say that it's you know he's kind of a powered serial killer which is terrifying right and he's very animalistic as we know and he's basically harnessed all of his animalistic powers and sensibilities into killing even more you know it's like he is this mesh of man and animal and just vicious and it's got to be said his role in the mutant massacre is honestly unforgivable it's it's some creators some of his the story writers that have have used the character have even said like Sabretooth is an unforgivable character we can still use him on the side of good from time to time, but he can never be forgiven for what he's done. Because of the genocide of the Morlocks? Yes. Yeah, he's he's a bad dude. Well, I think closing out just my brief thoughts on him, which always makes him so interesting to me, other than him just being this unstoppable animalistic force, he is the darkest, most mirror universe timeline anti-Wolverine, which is so interesting to me. Like he is everything that Wolverine struggles with becoming, you know, and fighting, just let all that go and become that. Oh, well, and that's, that's why they are such enemies. You know, I teased earlier, my favorite villain thing. That's what Sabretooth does early on. He adopts this tradition of tracking down Wolverine wherever he is in the world. Right. With the intention of fighting Wolverine for Wolverine's birthday. That's his present to Wolverine, is trying to kill him every year. Well, and it just shows that these two are so intertwined. They're such good enemies. They're perhaps friends as well in a really, really weird way. But I think the reason for that is, is they see so much of themselves in each other. Right. In Sabretooth, Wolverine sees that animalism that that he struggles so much with like you said in wolverine Sabretooth sees you know kind of the lack of individual individuality that that being on the side of angels that that moral compass that voice in his head that he can't get to shut up that telling him he's doing the wrong thing mm-hmm. and he hates that yeah yeah in a way he despises wolverine because wolverine is the better man and not taking the easier path you know Absolutely. So much so that Wolverine is self-destructive of himself, sometimes way too far to prevent himself from becoming the Sabretooth, you know, becoming the fully animalistic Wolverine, you know, this this serial killer, you know, all these crazy things. It's a really interesting 
conflict they've got. And I love that they're always just locked in combat and it makes sense. Like they're two sides of the same coin. They both have the healing factor. So they're almost can't ever kill each other. You know, it's crazy. It's, it's very good writing and probably one of those iconic duos that is never going to go away. They're like Batman and the Joker. They really are. And they make each other better just like Batman or the Joker. Absolutely. That was a really exciting talk on Sabretooth, putting us in the headspace of where this character came from, what the character was, what the characters become. But now we've got to talk about Sabretooth in our favorite game, Marvel Crisis Protocol. So let's get over to strategy. His name is Sabretooth. His alter ego is Victor Creed. On his healthy side, he has six stamina, He has a long move, a height of three, and a threat cost of four. His defenses are three physical, three energy, three mystic. And on his injured side, Chris, all of his stats are exactly the same, including his six stamina, giving him a total of 12 stamina. What are your thoughts about Sabretooth's initial stat line? He's got 12 stamina and he's a long mover. I think that's really, really cool. It's nice. Three size is a little worrisome for cover reasons. The defense rolls are all a little lower than you'd think, but I have a feeling that has to do with with his healing factor. Right. Just healing factor aside, just to compare him to his antithesis, James Logan Hallett, the Wolverine. What's interesting about Wolverine, Chris, Wolverine's seven stamina on the front and five on the back. So Wolverine's like really tough on the front and weaker on the back. Sabretooth's just six and six. So he's completely consistent. Also, Wolverine, his defenses are four physical, three energy, two mystic. So once again, Sabretooth's just solid across the board. Wolverine has a big strength and a big weakness. I just find it interesting because we're going to see a lot of parallels between them for obvious reasons. That's a couple parallels right there. Their their health being switched up in different ways, though they have the same amount of health and their defenses being switched up in different ways. Mm. Yeah. Sabretooth is a more safe option potentially just purely stat wise. Absolutely. But we just got to move into his attacks, Chris, because turns out he's all about attacking. His first attack is a physical attack called claw slash. It's a range two attack, five strength, zero power cost. After this attack is resolved, Sabretooth gains power equal to the damage dealt. So this is Sabretooth's strike. He also has a wild trigger, bleed. After the attack is resolved, the target character gains the bleed special condition. He also has another wild trigger, pierce. Change one of the defending characters, crit, wild, or block results to a blank. So... What do you think about Sabretooth Strike? I love Pierce. I know you do. So much. Yeah, it's a good strike. Five dice, not bad. No. Range two. Okay, he's gonna be a he's gonna be a brawler. That's fine. Has to be, yeah. The yeah, and I love so much text to go with a uh, you know, cost zero attack. That's always good. Right. And just, you know, anyone that's new to the show or new to the game, Marvel Christ Protocol, him having two wilds is great because Anytime there's multiple wilds on one attack that are actual separate lines with, you know, the bullet points, that just means as long as you have one wild in your results, you get to trigger all these, which is really nice. It's not you have one wild showing bleed or pierce. It's you have one wild showing you're going to bleed and pierce. And with five dice, the chances of getting a wild are really not bad. It's a lot better than four. Let's move on to his next attack. It's going to be a physical attack. Savage Predator. It is also range two. It's going to be strength seven with a power cost of four. It does have a trigger. It's a wild and a hit 
trigger. This is uh, the first time we've seen this on the show. You're going to need two different dice, one showing a hit and one showing a wild for this to trigger. It's called Finisher. After this attack is resolved, this character may make a claw slash attack. This character may re-roll any number of attack dice during that attack. So for this four power, if you trigger finisher, you get to use his first attack, which was a five dice attack with any number of rerolls. That might as well be the same odds as having 10 dice. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Or you can really look at this as even if you didn't have the rerolls, pre the rerolls, you're throwing 12 dice at them because you just did the savage predator for seven. And now you've triggered finisher. So you're getting a free claw slash attack for five. So that's 12 dice and then all the rerolls, which as Chris just said, essentially five rerolls unless you roll skulls and then you're out of luck. But let's say, you know, three to five rerolls and that's putting your number in a weird way around 15 to 17 dice. If that makes sense on one target. That's a lot of dice, man. It's a lot of dice. Now, of course, they're not all one big pool. That would just be incredibly overpowered. They are split up. We've got, you know, the seven, then the five with the any number of rerolls you want but that is a way to finish off kills. And that is why he is going to be your character that finishes kills. Oh, it's gross. It's very gross. I, I'm a big fan. So we got to move on to his superpowers though, Chris. His first superpower is a active superpower called No Mercy. It costs three power. During the next attack, Sabretooth makes this turn. Add one die to his attack roll for each damage the target character has up to a maximum of three. So if the character has three damage or more on them, you're only adding three dice. If they have one damage on them, you're adding one dice. If they have two damage on them, you're adding two dice. But Chris, now we've got Claw Slash essentially for three if you want to. It's five plus the number of damage that's already on the target. So now you're getting a lot of economy out of Claw Slash, potentially. You're getting a lot of that strike power, hopefully. Well, and this goes right back to what you're saying. He's a finisher. Yes. This is just more of it, you know? Right, because, I mean, you really would like to do this with Savage Predator, which costs four. That would then make this cost seven in total, which is extremely pricey. It might only happen one time a game, every other game, if that. But think about that, Chris. That would make potentially savage predator be 10 dice which would increase your chance of triggering finisher getting the wild and hit represented in your results and then you get to do a claw slash of five dice after that with a reroll. now keep in mind you're not going to be able to use no mercy on that free claw slash if you do trigger the finisher on savage predator but you're going to probably gain some more power from that claw slash when you get to use it yeah which means you can maybe Savage Predator again, maybe? Or you could know Mercy, just a regular Claw Slash, mm. you know? Because I'm thinking of this too, Chris, like maybe if you open on someone Savage Predator and you get a lot of damage on them and it's like, yeah, now they definitely have three damage on them, you know? And then no Mercy. There's just a lot of options here. Mm. You've got to get your power right. But also this is why Sabretooth is a good fit in the Brotherhood. Because once again, we've talked about it since we've started this Brotherhood part of our X season. Magneto is a engine generator. He is a power generator. He's getting everybody their power to do their niche jobs. And I think he's getting Sabretooth the power to do what he wants. You got to let Sabretooth do what he wants. It's so true. So let's talk about his next superpower. It is a reactive superpower. It is untamed force. It has a power cost of two. 
After an attack against this character is resolved, it may use this superpower. If the attacker is within range 2, Sabretooth may make a claw slash attack against the target attacking character. This superpower can only be used once per turn. Well, you might be saving that no mercy power, Chris, for this. <laughs> exactly. It's really good. I mean, we've always talked about on this show, and I've talked about on my any sort of past gaming content I've done, getting out of activation attacks is very powerful in miniature games. It might be a prerequisite for Sabretooth to just keep two power every turn. Right. And put him on an objective within range to right. other characters and really ask them, do you want to attack me? You know, do you really mm -hmm. want to let me attack you back for free? Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Good questions to ask. Because in the least, Chris, you're doing a chess move, right? You're you're moving a a bishop or a queen out, and now it's positioned in a place on the board, and you're asking, do you want to move into my range and I attack you and do things on my turn, or do you want to even move up and try to disrupt me, and then I respond with an untamed force? It's It's a very classic board game power move. I just love that this character presents those options to you. It's I just think the design is just fantastic. I agree. And I also think this is another reason why his defenses had to be 333. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He can't be like kingpin defenses up there getting free attacks on people. No. Yeah, we just can't do that. And so closing out his kit, Chris, he of course has two innate superpowers, which we have to talk about because I think they just fit so nicely with everything else. The first one is a staple on your beloved crossbones. It's aggressive. After an attack targeting this character is resolved, if Sabretooth suffered damage, he may advance short towards the attacking character. Which is just bonkers on an already long moving character. It's true. So getting some free short moves in there on top of those long moves mm. regular. Gross. It's really nice. And also, Chris, I do have to mention while we're here, it says after an attack targeting this character is resolved and if Sabretooth suffered damage. Okay, an attack has been resolved. So resolved, remember, is the last step. It's actually after damage has been applied to targets and everything. It's attack has resolved. Everything's done. Then you would check. Does Sabretooth take damage? Yes. Okay, now he can. He may advance short. He doesn't have to. He can just sit still, right? Guess what he gets to do now? Untamed force. <laughs> after an attack is resolved. <laughs> so it's fun. So he's a problem. He's not very tanky. That's his weakness, but he's a problem. And so we've got to close out, of course, his final part of his kit. His last innate superpower is healing factor one. So once again, we're seeing differences between him and Logan. Logan's is healing factor two with some different defenses. Sabretooth has these baseline defenses across the board with healing factor one. That of course is at the end of this character's activation. After you've done all your actions, after you've basically passed the activation to your opponent, you know, when they're about to activate one of their characters, the healing factor character heals the number on their card. So in Logan's case, he heals two at the end of his activation Sabretooth's case, he heals one at the end of his activation. So just like we said in our Logan episode, Chris, just like we said about Wolverine, you've got to kind of wrap your head around it. In the hands of a good player, you've almost got to add a couple more points of health on both of these characters' full stamina. Right. At least. Absolutely. Logan's probably at least two to four more health, maybe more if you have a really good game. Well, let's just say 
you know, on the low end, two to four range, Sabretooth might be, you know, one to three or four more health in a game. Who knows? You know, it just depends on how well your activations go, how quickly they flip him, how well you manage him. That one extra life can be the difference between so much damage. Yeah. With how much he can just pump out, it can cause problems. Yeah. And it really makes these guys at their worst, like one more health on both of their sides, right? So Sabretooth being six and six, in some ways he's really seven and seven on on a bad day, right? On a good day with a player right. that's doing things correctly, keeping him out of harm's way, it's potentially even more, you know, which is really nice. And of course, Chris, that leads into something I really enjoyed talking about on our Wolverine episode. We have our first sub-faction in the game. That's the Healing Factor group, which right now is just Wolverine and Sabretooth, but it has been confirmed by Atomic Mass on one of their recent streams that, of course, Deadpool will be a Healing Factor member as well. So it's pretty great. But we're going to talk about a couple of the tactics cards which are available to Sabretooth and, of course, Wolverine. The first one we talked about in our Wolverine episode that I'm a huge fan of, and I think it's strongly in contention if you're playing one or both of these characters, Exceptional Healing unaffiliated, reactive, when an allied character with the healing factor superpower would be damaged by an enemy effect, it may pay three power to play this card. Reduce the amount of damage suffered down to one. So once again, Chris, this is Odin's blessing for the healing factor sub-faction. And I think it's so good. Because now, do you really want to attack Sabretooth? We were talking about this before. You were already concerned about attacking him because he has aggressive, because he has the untamed force, because he wants power to do his bigger attacks. But now, like, do you really want to attack him? Because you know they have exceptional healing, and he's going to survive a whole attack, basically, and reduce it down to one. You either have to chip away at him over multiple turns, which just makes healing factor more potent, or you've got to bait this card out somehow. But yeah, it just creates more problems for the opposing player and having to deal with this absolute powerhouse because you, you can't just ignore Sabretooth. He will rip you to shreds. Absolutely. He's a problem and that's how he should be. All right, Jesse, the next card we're going to talk about is the Weapon X program card. I really love the art on this one. I love that that helmeted Wolverine look. It, it's cool. It is an unaffiliated card. It is an active card. Wolverine or Sabretooth may spend three power to play this card. This character is thrown short, does not suffer damage if it collides with another character or terrain feature. It's Black Panther's Pounce. It's really nice. Pounce costs two, so Black Panther's is a little better, as we would say. It should be. It should be, because it's kind of a staple of his kit. But them getting one of Black Panther's cards on their turn is actually really nice, and because in since they are scarier than Black Panther in close range, it actually really makes sense, Chris, that they only get it as a one-time use card. Once again, though, Black Panther's Pounce is so good, because when you first start playing MCP, it's hard to wrap your head around, but Basically, you know, it's stated on the cards. It's the only way we've seen this in the game so far through Black Panther and now through Sabretooth and Wolverine. But essentially, you throw the said character, whether that's Black Panther, Sabretooth, or Wolverine, as if they were a piece of terrain, which is great because now the enemy has to make a dodge save of their size plus one. Turns out Sabretooth and Wolverine, Chris, are both size three 
it's interesting flavor wise. We talked about Logan. He's actually height two, but right. he's represented as size three when being thrown, which I absolutely love. Metal bones. Sabretooth is actually size three. So when he's being thrown at someone through this essentially weapon X pounce, it's a four save for them to save. And now Sabretooth is base contact with them and he can attack. He can double attack because essentially this is another great way to prevent yourself from having to spend an action to move, right? Just so many options to get to the target with this character. It's really good. And once again, they don't suffer a collision either. So it's just, you're going to take this if you're running probably both of them in your 10 character list, Chris. Okay. And I would think that this would be especially good with the Magneto team, right? Yeah. No, definitely. The problem with the Magneto team, and we're about to cover that, is there's a lot of options. (laughs) Too many (laughs) options. But I I do want to close out our Sabretooth discussion here with a card that I feature with Logan a lot. I do not think it's quite as good with Victor Creed. I do think it's very strong. It's a you know basic card, no matter the cost, that I absolutely love. It's unaffiliated. It's reactive. When a character declares an attack action during their activation, it may suffer one to three damage to play this card. So you're suffering damage instead of paying power to play a tactics card. Reduce the power cost of the attack by the amount of damage suffered. So essentially, Chris, Savage Predator, if you take three damage on Sabretooth, it can cost one. So you could do it round one in a dream scenario. Dream scenario, but I mean, the way this game's going, we just talked about Lockjaw earlier. (laughs) So true. This could happen, man. It really could. But more importantly, I think it's just a good card to have if Wolverine and Sabretooth are staples of your 10 character team. I think this is a strong card in contention. I already like this card for a lot of characters, Chris. This is a card I really like on Green Goblin, for instance, or even Venom before he attacks and then heals it back. There's a lot of good options, but it's even better with our healing factor friends here because they take damage. They do a giant attack that they couldn't have paid for otherwise earlier in the game. And then at the end of their turn, the healing factor, their healing factor back. So you're kind of like cheating this card a little bit with them. And it's why I like it so much. Well, it's definitely got added value with their their healing factor, for sure. And and the fact neither character has, I mean, they both have pretty good health pools. Right. And as we know, too, on Wolverine's back in particular, the more damage on him, the more damage he does. So also, it even pairs with Logan even more so because he has a higher healing factor and he has this crazy ceiling on the back where he's doing more damage because the more damage he is... He's angry. He's doing a lot of damage. But I think it's a really good card for Sabretooth as well. So I think it's something worth looking at. I do think Exceptional Healing is an auto-include if you plan to play, whether it be Wolverine or Sabretooth, frequently. I think you play this card because it's Odin's blessing for them. They just guarantee they don't die before they get to go at a pivotal activation, which could be huge. Could be late game winning, you know? I like winning. Well, Sabretooth and Logan, you're either going to win big or you're going to lose big. (laughs) And I really think that's something interesting about these characters, Chris. A lot of the four threats in the game are not like these two. And it's it's so great, this game they have for us, because you've got so many options now, right? There's almost too many options, one would say, especially for the four and three threats in the game. Well, and that's kind of why we make this show. That's right. (laughs) So we can help you figure out which characters appeal the most to you, of course. But I I love the variety. It's just, it's such a rich and and fun 
meta now. Just it is so many, so many nuanced options and and questions that can be posed. Oh, I'm a huge fan. Hopefully, our show guides you on the path, like which characters interest you the most thematically. What what are you going to enjoy the most on the table? What fits your play style? It's pretty obvious here, Chris. Like Sabretooth and Logan side by side. Logan's more the tank. I'm going to sit on a point. I'm slow but I'm not going anywhere in Sabretooth's I'm fast. I'm mobile. I do high damage. I burn out quick if I'm not managed correctly. I love it. I think they're really interesting characters and very different from a lot of the fours we've seen in the game so far. And welcome addition to Marvel crisis protocol. So Chris, this is going to bring us to the end of our brotherhood series. And we're going to cover a couple of their cards because it turns out they've got some options. So just to refresh everyone's memory, we of course had Magneto's big attack, which is cool, the crush. Then we also had Mystique's very powerful card, Deception, which costs nothing, and you advance a target towards Mystique, which I think is also very essential if you're running Mystique in all your lists. We also had another Great Brotherhood card, which of course is a Magneto only, but I still think it's obviously Brotherhood only because you're if Magneto's your leader, you're going to be doing this a lot. Magnetic Refraction, just to refresh everyone's memory, it's unaffiliated, it's active. Magneto pays two power at the start of a round. Magneto gains cover for the whole round, and every member of Magneto's team within range three also gains cover from Magneto, which is cool. And of course, this is the card that returns to your hand, Chris, at the end of the round. The first card recursion we've seen in MCP. So that's already three great brotherhood cards essentially we just talked about two healing factor cards that Sabretooth can have so we're up at five now but you and i are going to close out our brotherhood discussion today with the last two brotherhood cards so i'll read the first one and i think this is another very powerful card asteroid m brotherhood of mutants active two brotherhood of mutant characters may both spend two power each to play this card place one of the two brotherhood characters not holding the objective token within range one of the other character this is mothership from the black order for brotherhood the community has been calling this brothership which i think is a good name (laughs) that's great the biggest thing you gotta remember is both members have to be brotherhood of mutant characters just like on the mothership they have to be black order characters neither one of them can be holding an objective they both have to spend two power not very difficult to do then you get to teleport the other character to the other character it does not matter where they are on the map chris this is a card that i think Sabretooth likes i i think that my brain hurts man this is so cool this is so good yeah also chris what do you think about the theme of this card being the marvel lore expert here how cool is it that asteroid m has this effect asteroid m is <laughs> i don't know if i love it or hate oh, it sometimes yeah. but it's so it is pretty iconic if you've read those you know read those books yeah and just adds to the whole magneto mystique and everything and in the fact that it's this powerful of a card is very cool yes let's get going on our last card here it is the books of truth it is a reactive card When an allied Brotherhood of Mutants character is attacking or defending, at the end of the modified dice step of the attack, before the calculate success or failure step, it may spend two power to play this card. Very complicated way of saying when you're rolling dice. This character rerolls all of their attack or defense dice, including the skull results. That's insane. Chris, you know who likes this card? (laughs) 
I think Sabretooth might like this card. Sabretooth definitely likes this card. And so does Magneto. Probably oh, yeah. not Mystique or Toad at all. It's not really worth it. Maybe to keep them alive if they're holding the objective, just reroll all your defense dice again. That that would work. But Magneto and Sabretooth like this card a lot when they've got their big dice pool and maybe didn't go so well. They just do it again, you know, or just Magneto for some reason whiffed on his giant defense dice pool that was all mystic. You know, it happens. It's happened to me. Great card to just re-roll and try again. It's strong. It's very strong. So Chris, you're seeing the conundrum we're in that I've kind of alluded to at the start of our Brotherhood episodes they might have the best spread of character and affiliation tactics cards in the game and actually getting the cards you want from their affiliation and the generic cards that you just want from the regular game, like some of those healing cards and some of those moving power around and moving characters on the map cards. It's a very tough eight cards to nail down and then nail that eight cards down to five when you're actually playing your match. It's a good problem to have. It's a very good problem to have, but yeah, I, I could see this keeping someone up at night. It's complicated. Me, personally, I think my go-to Brotherhood card, even though I mentioned I really do like the magnetic refraction with Magneto, it recurs as well, which is really nice. Giving your team cover is just cool as Magneto. But I think the card I take almost every time and the card I take every time in my eight is Brothership. I take the Asteroid M card. I do. I was going to say, I just I just think that that one has so much potential, especially when we're talking about Sabretooth's insane, you know, movement possibilities and everything. Because you could always, like, move Sabretooth up a side of the board long, kill someone over there, start attacking them, you know, fighting over an objective on that side of the board. Magneto's on the other side of the board dealing with an objective, but Magneto's just won that side of the board. Now Magneto just teleports over to Sabretooth. And he's on the other side of the board. <laughs> it, it opens up the possibility of, of just insane flank attacks and just rolling the enemy up just by sheer overpowering a side out of nowhere. Yes. It's just hard to plan for. It's very hard to plan for. Well, and it's very helpful, too, in an in affiliation where your leader is very expensive, very slow, and you have everyone else on your team, Mystique, Long, Mover, Sabretooth, long mover, toad, medium mover. So it's a way to reposition Magneto at a pivot point in the game when he would never get there by walking normally. And he's so expensive, you have to maximize all of the that threat that you spent on him. You have to keep him in the fight. It's just like we've talked about one of my favorite loves in this game, Bruce Banner, Hulk. Anytime Hulk's having to move multiple, multiple times and not attack or, you know, not thunderclap, he's in trouble, you know, because you spent a lot of points to get the guy out there and now you're kiting him away and he's not catching up to the conflict. That's bad for six threat characters. Same with Thanos as well. Absolutely. So I think it's very powerful. The Book of Truths is great because as an affiliation, yes, Magneto and Sabretooth have some cool built-in reroll stuff, which I think is great. But the rest of your affiliation and the rest of your affiliation cards don't have any built-in rerolls. So the Brotherhood's always going to have a lot of power. That's their thing. So might as well use it on cards like the Book of Truths to give yourself rerolls because they don't really have a lot of that. So I think that's neat as well. We've also got to keep in mind too, Chris, that like, of course, all these cards can be viewed through the lens of Mystique's Brotherhood team as well, which is the more objective-focused team. So you've got a lot of different play there as well. But 
The ones I take a lot is Asteroid M right now. I'm considering the Books of Truth a lot, but what gets a higher spot for me is that exceptional healing because I just think keeping Sabretooth mm-hmm. around for one more turn is just too powerful. And then probably definitely Deception because that's just very powerful with Mystique. But you can already see I'm already at three cards and it's, yes. it's just getting crazy because we haven't mentioned Magnetic Refraction. We haven't mentioned Sabretooth and Wolverine's Pounce with the Weapon X program. We haven't mentioned the Books of Truth making into that. So it's a tough decision. It's a good problem to have as an affiliation. Someone will crack the code. It's way smarter than us on all this strategy <laughs> stuff. You know, I'm looking at UTTS league and all that, but fun factor, all these are fun. That's what's crazy. They're all so fun too. They're all powerful and they're all fun. They do neat things. So I think this is just a powerhouse of a, of an affiliation. My personal favorite out of the two X-Men and the two Brotherhood affiliations has to be Magneto for me. 100% in my heart, it's the Scott team, but in my head, it's Magneto for sure. I think you should just ride that Scott team train, Chris. Just ride it till the sun goes down. I, I think it's your new crossbones, and I'm I'm really into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm down with that. Well, and, and here's what's funny. You know, people scoffed at crossbones early on, even though he legitimately was one of the strongest characters in the core set if he's in position as we all know. If he's not in position, he's one of the weakest. But now Crossbones has a home, Chris. He is a powerhouse in the criminal syndicate. I said it would happen. You said it would happen. It came around. It did happen. He's a great character in that affiliation. And who knows? Lockjaw might be Crossbones saving grace. Mm. Scott's team will be more filled out in the future. We'll have more options in the future. We'll synergize better in the future because we will have a larger character roster. And We're going to figure it out. And I think it's great. I can't wait. So Chris, closing out our Brotherhood of Mutants discussion, are you going to be playing Sabretooth? Yes. If Black Panther is the tanky mobile character, Sabretooth is the burst high damage mobile character. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up Black Panther here. I know know we've been comparing them a little bit throughout the episode, but this team has kind of supplanted Wakanda as the team I, I really just feel like I want to play Very cool. a lot of the time. Yeah. Wakanda was always the team because of Killmonger and Black Panther. I just love those characters so much. I still do. The Sabretooth Wolverine thing, I just I I just I love it. Yeah, I think worth mentioning, you know, more verbally between us and just for the listener, Chris, I mentioned it many times, but I haven't said it directly yet. I think Sabretooth and Wolverine are a good team. Eight threat is a lot. Absolutely. I love pairing them. But I think bringing Sabretooth into X-Men or bringing Wolverine into Brotherhood or just bring the two of them in Cabal, go crazy. I think it's a good combo because now you're not taxed for taking all their healing factor cards because you're going to get use out of it through one of them in the game. You're not fearful of like, I only have one healing factor character and I need the perfect time to use the card. You know, you're going to have two of them on the board. It's strong. But yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned Killmonger. I hadn't thought of this thing until now. I mean, is Sabretooth MCP's design space the mix of Black Panther and Killmonger? I think he is. Oh my. I think he is. Oh I my. think he's the super mobile, control the spots on the map Killmonger, you know? I love it. Killmonger, you know, might have a higher damage output in the late game or all these sorts of things. And of course, Usurp the Throne is just incredible. But Chris, you already really enjoy playing Killmonger. I think you got to give Sabretooth a try. Oh, it's, it's going to happen. 
Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch us streaming Marvel Crisis Protocol and future tabletop content at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest and follow the show on social media. Find us on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. Email us at Fury's Finest at gmail.com and leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so already, guys, it really helps out. We continue to see reviews all the time that are new, and it keeps us going. Thank you so much. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And like Jesse said, guys, please help spread the word, rate, review, and subscribe. Of course, you can find our t-shirts and our merch on tpublic.com. If you just type in Fury's Finest, you'll find us there. They run sales frequently, so we highly recommend it. Working on some X-Men designs right now, which is very exciting. And we also have our TeePublic page linked in the show notes on your podcast app. So just click on the link and check out our stuff. You can find us on social media and you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. And if you like Star Wars, check out my Star Wars podcast, The Canon Cantina. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Breffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. Thanks for listening. True Believers. Excelsior. Excelsior.